Well, good morning. It's good to see you. Let me add my welcome this morning, especially to our guests and visitors. I know many have friends from out of town and family. We're so well, we're so glad that you're here with us, and we want to welcome you. I noticed where they're scrambling for seats in the back as we continue on the service. You know, guys, there's always a whole row of empty seats right up here in the front. It's, it's, they're there every Sunday. You can always count on them. So when you're looking for a place to sit, don't worry about the spitting that comes out. Um, this is the spout where the glory comes out, right here. So get up close. It's the splash zone, but we have lots of fun up here. Um, anyway, it's so good to be here this morning. We are thankful for the Lord's provision, His grace, and we're going to celebrate that this morning by looking into His Word. And so I want to invite you to turn to First Timothy, the book of First Timothy, and we're going to look at the second two of the four pillars of the church. We started out, this is the last Sunday of our series, What is Church? We started out looking at the origin of church, and then, then we saw the birth of the church, and then we looked at the concept of why church? Why is church the chosen place that God will do that? And why should people come to church? And then we broke our, our mission possible into three different messages, talked about growth. Growth is godly, and, and realized that, and then we started in on these four pillars. Now, I have some Uh, visual aids up here today. The first two pillars that we looked at were, of course, fellowship, um, shown by the the couple of people here, because fellowship's not just about meals, it's about us living life together and being unified under the call and the person of Jesus Christ. That common bond that we share is fellowship. And then love is the other one we looked at last week, and the heart represents love here, not in the sense that love is all about a feeling or Valentine's candy, but that love comes from the heart. The, the Bible tells us that we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and strength. All of who we are, the essence of man. Out of the heart spring the issues of life, Proverbs says. And so all of our heart loving God and showing God's love to the church. Now, these four pillars, we're going to look at the second two in just a minute. But guys, remember this. These four pillars stand straight, stand firm in a falling, sinking world where people are learning that you really can't trust in man and you really can't trust in anything else other than God in that world where these, these promises seem to fall and the, and the sands shift and the tides turn. There's something that always stands true, always points to who God is, always is a place of refuge for the people, and that is the church. These four pillars of who we are as the church stand in contrast to the sinking, shifting world around us. They stand high and tall. They stand prominent. We should be the lighthouse, the place that the rest of the world turns to. When they need to know God's love and grace, it's the church and these high pillars right here on this address, on this corner, that should show who God is. These pillars, the church, are an accurate representation of God's character, who he really is. Now that's seen in the church today, and that's, that's what we need to focus on as we look at these four pillars. So we're going to look at them in just a moment, but before I introduce the first one, which just, you know, let's just let the cat out of the bag since all you're reading my signs anyway, right? The, the second two pillars are, of course, truth and grace, and we're going to talk about them. But I, I want to show you these two pillars, these two purposes of the church really go hand in hand. They, they go wonderfully together and they work in concert and in balance with each other as we are the the identity of Jesus Christ in our world around us. You know, some things just go together really well when they are combined. 
Example, peanut butter and chocolate. You know, chocolate's great. I love chocolate. And peanut butter and jelly sandwiches are some of my favorite. Peanut butter's wonderful. But you know what? There's something that happens when you combine those two elements that's just, man, it's like heaven. If you don't like peanut butter and chocolate, I'm sorry for you, but you're missing out. I think God created the cocoa bean and the peanut, and he thought, one day they're going to discover these things two together, and it's going to be great. And we did. And I'm telling you, there's not vanilla ice cream with some peanut butter, and then go to Trader Joe's and get Trader Joe's version of chocolate fudge. Warm that up a little bit. Put that in with your peanut butter. I'm telling you right now, let's just go home and do it. It'll be all the glory we need all day. It's good stuff. They go wonderfully together. In fact, it's hard to even imagine peanut butter without chocolate in my, in my mind, in my taste buds. Salt is another one. Sodium chloride, you know, sodium's fine, well, and good. It's necessary. It has purposes. So does chloride. We got it in our water sometimes to help, help our teeth. But, but those things have their purposes. But when you put them together and you get salt, you have this wonderful time-tested, not just flavoring, but also a preserving agent. Mankind has survived through generations based on the preserving nature of salt. It's, it's a wonderful gift of God. And when those two elements come together, we can enjoy it at its fullest. Truth and grace are like those. They are absolutely character traits of God, the essence and the identity of who God is. But when God's character comes together, we don't just highlight one and then neglect another, but when they come in perfect balance and unity, it's a perfect representation of the mighty glory of God. And all that God can do and all that man needs to see in his character. So let's break them apart and see how they come together individually and uh, together and individually. It's really hard, you know. How, how, do you, how do you talk about truth without saying truth is all there is? But then when you add grace, truth becomes loving. Truth becomes helpful. Truth becomes nurturing. But grace all on its own is, is wonderful. I mean, without grace, there would be no salvation. But, but just all grace and no truth is sloppy, and, and it tends to leave us without any clear direction and instruction and, and the helpful things that we need to grow in. So truth and grace. Now, I ask you, where did I ask you to turn? First Timothy. Okay, you're right. I just want to make sure we're all in the right same place. First Timothy chapter 3. Look, beginning in verse 14, look with me. This is Paul writing to Timothy, young pastor of the church, and he says, These things I write to you, though, though I hope to come to you shortly. Look at verse 15. But if I'm delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. Looking for conduct in the house of God. Here's how to conduct yourself, he said. Which is, by the way, this house of God, the church of the living God and the pillar and ground of truth. There it is right there. The church, the living house of God. By the way, who's the church again? Just, yep. If you're the church, raise your hand. That's us, right? Not the building. The church, us, with Christ and the Spirit of God abiding in us, is the pillar and the ground of truth in the world in which we live. What is truth? Truth is the essence of who God is. I mean, there is no clearer way to define truth, church, than to say truth is God. Everything that God is, as it's revealed to us, is true, is truth. Matter of fact, Jesus said it himself. I am the way, the truth. He said, I am the truth. 
Because if you want to know what's true, God is true. That implies everything that does not come from the nature of God, that doesn't purely, without error, represent who God is, his character, therefore is in opposition to that truth, and we call that a lie. I mean, it's really that clear, folks. Everything that is God in this world is true, and everything that is not God is a lie. So truth in the church, the pillar and the ground of truth, is that we represent clearly, accurately, who God really is. What an important responsibility. What an important gift that we have. Truth is the the way that we measure existence. Think about all your experiences and how you measure them. How do do you sort what you experience and, and put it into proper place in your life? The only way you and I know to do that is because we have truth. We have God's revealed character, and that helps us sort, understand, prioritize those things in the world that we are experiencing. That's what truth is. Truth, truth helps us because we will experience those things one way or the other. Think about it. To the world, the church being the pillar of truth means this. The world will always have a place where they can go to, where they can look to, where they can experience the true nature of God. You get, now, say, oh, that's a wonderful doctrinal truth. Guys, it's got to be more than that. I want to connect with your heart this morning with that truth. Do you understand that there are hundreds and thousands of people all around us every day? God created them. God desires for them to know him intimately, to be saved. And to, to realize that Cross Point Community Church, you, is the perfect gift of truth that God has placed in their world, in their circumstances, in their existence, so that they can turn to and say, that's God, that's real. Now, truthfully, sometimes the world will choose to reject the truth. But how can they even reject it if we don't hold up who God is, if we don't live out his true character and his true nature? The church is a beacon of hope. They're not going to find anything else in Reading, Shasta County, anywhere else on the planet. They're not going to find any other source that gives them absolutely the only thing that they need, God's truth, other than the church. I'm telling you, when they find themselves, the rest of the world, empty, when they find themselves frustrated, when they find themselves depressed, when they find themselves facing destruction and death, a shining beacon of hope will mean the world to them. And that's what we're here for. That's, that's who we are. That's, that's what we are to the world. And the Bible says that we're salt and light. That's what it means. But also, what does it mean for you personally? There's a personal application to your church, who you are being the place of truth. Guys, for a long time, I have sought to lead a church that would be a center of transformation. A church that would be a place of refuge for God's people. So that when we come together as the church, when, when, when we, when, listen, let's be honest. You go out into the world and 
you know, it doesn't take long after Sunday and we all walk out of here glowing with the glory of Christ because you've heard such a wonderful message. Not true. You've experienced the glory of God, right? And you're just glowing when you leave here Sunday. You, I see it on your faces. You, you've been with God. He's, he's touched your heart. And we go out in the world and we're just so, like, everything's wonderful and I have all the hope. And, you know, it doesn't take very long getting into your week before sometimes that kind of wears away, huh? And before you know it, you know, it's Tuesday already, only a couple days away from Sunday. And, you know, you're, you're calling person names in the car in front of you because they're taking too long, right? Come on. It was just, we, we can be honest. Or you're getting frustrated at your husband slash wife for the most selfish reasons. And you're all locked up into your own mind and your own, like, this just isn't working. Life is hard. These circumstances didn't work out the way that I wanted. I'm no longer feeling like it's all going to be fine, well, and good, and I'm glowing with the countenance of God. I feel like I just want to hit somebody. Anyone? I see I'm not the only one. Sometimes life does that to us, doesn't it? And before we know it, we tend to lose sight of those really clear things that we had on Sunday or in our small group Bible study and and, and it's not at the forefront of our mind, and, and we find ourselves sort of grabbing for something uncertain. But isn't it wonderful that week after week after week after week, when we've had those kind of weeks, we can come back as the gathered, called church and corporate worship. And once again, we can be the, the, the center of change, the transformation center, the place where we should, as, as the church, as Christians today, we should run to the place of the church when we gather and regain perspective, renew in our hope, where truth is highlighted, where truth is, is taught and spoken and rejoiced about and sung and, and encouraged it's our regrounding place. It's our resetting place. It's the pa- place of renewal and do-overs. What a, what a blessing. That's what a blessing. We, we should run to this gathering called the church. We should be eager for it each and every week. But also remember this, that in order for it to be effectively the power and the presence of God, it must also be the truth of God. It has to be the truth. Um, Let's continue reading. I want to show you something about what will happen to truth around us. Chapter 4. Now, you are in chapter 3. We're just going to skip ahead to 4 and just read a few verses with me. Just just read along. Beginning in verse 1. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Speaking lies, that's the opposite of truth, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving for if it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. Now look at verse 6. If you instruct the brethren in these things, You will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of good doctrine, which you have carefully followed. But reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself 
toward godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having the promise of life that now is and of that which is to come. Now, now look at these verses. Just, just break it down for a second. First of all, it teaches us that some will depart from the truth. It says in the latter days, some will depart giving heed to deceiving spirits, that's misleading, not truthful spirits, uh, doctrines of demons, that's what they do, speaking lies and hypocrisy. Some will disp- depart. You've got to understand, it's not as if the church is going to wake up one day and go, oh my gosh, the church has departed from truth overnight. What happened? We lost it. That's not how it happens. What happens is that gradually, over time, God's people begin to lower their discernment and to embrace things, to receive things that are not true. We begin, listen, the world around us has all kinds of reported truths that stand in opposition to who God is. And there's a whole system, there's a whole philosophy, there's a whole theory, there's a whole culture. There's a whole society that is built from bottom to top based on those things that are against, opposed to God. And we're surrounded by those all the time. That's the culture that we live in. And if we're not careful, if we don't adhere to truth, if we don't maintain our purity to doctrine in God's word, what happens is we begin to just say, well, that's you know, that just doesn't sound too bad. I mean, the rest of the world says we're, we're too narrow-minded and, and we shouldn't be so ugly towards those who disagree and, and, and we need to stop pushing them away and, and stop being so prickly and, and contentious with the world. And so it's okay, you know, that some of that's okay. And I, I, I believe that's true too. And it starts with a small, just tolerance of untruth. I'm telling you, church, there is no room for tolerance of anything that opposes God. We don't tolerate it. We don't overlook it. We don't embrace it. Because it starts with just a crack. Well, that's okay. And before you know it, what happens? Verse 2, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared as with a hot iron. By the way, these are people that departed from the faith. You follow me? I, I don't know. I'm, it doesn't take a theologian to figure this much out. I, I'm pretty simple-minded. If they departed from the faith, that means they had to initially be part of the faith. Depart. <laughs> they were part. And we don't, we don't lose our salvation. It's not a matter of, of they rejected God overnight and lost their salvation, and now they're going to hell, and he didn't really die for their sins. It's as if he did die for their sins. They accepted it. They received it. They rejoiced in it. But at some point... At some point, they gave up holding out for the truths of who they were in Christ, the truth. And they bought into lies. And it says that it's as if their own conscience was seared. You know what that means? That means they are numb to the things of God. Numb. Could you imagine? Use your imagination for a minute. Could you imagine what the world would look like if the church of the Lord Jesus Christ was numb to the things of God? wait a minute, we don't have to look very far, do we? Sometimes that's in our own culture, in our own society. As a matter of fact, there are signs that already the church, the real church, is growing numb. Truth is being lowered. Truth is being decentralized in churches. I'm just teaching you this. As Paul said Timothy to teach his church, 
because we need to be nourished in the words of faith. Some will depart, and you should be wor- nourished in the words of faith. That's, that's what truth is. Truth is, these are supposed to be Bibles up here. My Bible, it has the words of faith. And then, guess what? When I read it and trust it and obey it, and then I share it with you, and you share it with me and share it with one another, those are words of faith. They are words that are built on, that come from, listen, 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 the promises of God. If you don't regularly read, hear about, study, share with one another the truths of God's promises, then what happens is you begin to grow despondent. You begin to grow frustrated. And then all the false truths of the world look more tempting to buy into. If we're not nourished by words of faith, listen to me carefully, church, on a regular basis, ongoing nourishment, truth, word of God, words of faith. If we are not, listen, this is what will happen. You will begin to lose discernment. And you will begin to buy into things that are not true. Say, well, that won't happen to me. That won't happen to our church. According to the word of God, it will. Which, last time I checked, is true. It can't happen. Well, what do we do to prevent that from happening? Nourish one another with words of faith. Not only with words of faith, verse 6, of good doctrine, which you have carefully followed. We should be nourished in doctrine. Guys, doctrine's important. Hey, listen. Just time out. Step aside over here a second. I know doctrine's kind of a sensitive subject because we've fallen under attack from outside saying you're too narrow-minded as Baptists. Yeah. There's a huge ecumenical movement right now that's pushing churches to lower the barriers of their differences and all just get along. Well, listen, should we all just get along? Of course! Should we love people of other denominations and other faiths? Of Hey, we already talked about that. Yes! If we're going to be God, if we're going to be His pillar, of course we love them. Loving them doesn't mean we stop talking about the doctrinal differences that determine what we believe. They're critical. Because listen, let me give you a little secret here about doctrine. Okay, you ready? Doctrine is what you believe. Pretty good, huh? I paid admission for that? Is that the best you have? No. There's more. Doctrine is what you believe. Now watch this. What you believe determines how you behave. Ooh. So if your doctrine isn't truth, then you are behaving according to a belief that doesn't represent truth. And you have the Spirit of God dwelling in you. The Spirit of God exists, and we believe that the Word of God teaches us truth. And listen, don't ever be afraid to say, I don't know anything, and I need to learn more about truth. And and of course, we're always learning, always growing, but also never, ever be ashamed to hold firmly to the doctrine of truth, what you believe the Bible says, because that will determine your lifestyle 
and how you live. That will determine if, we, if we're raised up as a, as a pillar of something else in the community that's unreliable or if we're raised up as the pillar of God, reliable to the core as God's character. I was talking with a young man in our church recently. He came and um, he hasn't been here a whole long time. But I just wanted to share with you briefly uh, the summary of my encounter with him. This is basically what, what he said. He said, you know, I come in every week and go to Bible study and then we worship in church together. And he says, I leave every week changed. Is that a good thing? Every week I come in here with something that was weighing me down. Something that was causing me to be obsessed, upset, a problem. And he said, every week I leave with the solution. Guys, that can't be bad. That's the pillar of truth, the church. It gives hope. God provides solutions, answers, perspective, peace. If, if you're not part of a, of a local church, can I encourage you? Folks, this is probably the greatest one there is, but if you can't come to this church, then make sure that you find a church that believes the doctrine and truth that, that's in your heart, that you believe. And listen, you need to be part of that church. You need to be uh, available to, to receive what truth brings. And then you need to be in your life, like the young man shared with me, when I go out the next week, I'm ready to live what I learned. What is that? That's truth in the flesh, living out before the rest of the world. This church needs to be a transformation center. Truth always transforming what we think and who we are. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4, just, just one book over. 2 Timothy 4 gives us an idea of, of the importance of keeping God's word central to everything we do. It, it has to be central. It can't just be one of those sidelines. Again, Paul writing to the young pastor Timothy, chapter 4, verse 1. He says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. Listen. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. What's the solution God's word gives us for keeping the word central so that this doesn't happen. He says, preach the word. Now, I know that there's a, an element of that that falls on the, the pastor's shoulders to, to preach the word. And that's what Paul is talking to Timothy about. But you understand, there's only so far I can go preaching the word if the church body isn't willing to receive the preaching of the word. We determine together as a congregation, as the local body of Christ, where preaching the word, studying the word, learning the word of God falls in priority in our church. And we must guard against the temptation and sometimes the influence, the pressure to take 
preaching God's word away from being a primary place and putting it secondary or third or fourth. You know, I, I get, uh, I take 45 minutes plus, I realize, on Sunday mornings to preach. And I'll make you a deal. I need a little more. I don't know how I'm going to get it, but I need just a little bit more. I'll make you a deal. If you guys allow me the time I need to preach his word every Sunday, you won't be bored. How, how's that for a deal? Because most of the time, the reason we don't, it's like we're bored to death. <laughs> like another five minutes of this, I promise you, you won't be bored if you allow me the time necessary to teach you all of the counsel of what God's word says, all of the doctrines and how they fit together and how it can apply to your lives. You see, that's all I'm looking for. And sometimes, well, why don't we do more of this in the service? And why don't we have more of that in our church service? And listen, guys, there's a thousand things we can do in our church service on Sunday morning. All of them wonderful, neat, would be such a blessing. I would love to see them. But I only have an hour and 15 minutes, and it says preach the word. And so if we can't do some things, let's make sure we're doing this thing. Preach the word. He said, be ready in season and out of season. You know what that tells me? That means preach God's word when it's convenient and popular and when it's not convenient and not popular. In season and out of season. Convince. (laughs) Somebody said to me one time, why do you get so excited when you're running around preaching? I mean, you seem so calm during the week, and then all of a sudden you get up there and you're just like, whoa, put some seatbelt on him or something. <laughs> Joe tells me every time he looks up from his Bible, he has to find me again. Where are you? <laughs> now he's up front, so he can't lose me. Guys, okay, all fun aside, I believe what I'm teaching. I believe the truth of God's word, and I believe that it has, it has the freedom and the answers and the direction that you desperately need. And you are people that I love, I desperately love, and I am passionate about teaching you and preaching to you what the truth of God's word says so that your lives can be adjusted and changed for the betterment of the character and the glory of God in your lives. And so convincing, sometimes, sometimes I'm, I'm like spitting all over the place, and sometimes I'm, I'm telling stories, and sometimes I'm, I'm pleading with you, convincing, rebuke. Uh, that doesn't, I don't think, carry the idea. Um, we always think it means yelling at somebody, rebuking them. You know, rebuking really is warning of an impending judgment warning of the consequences when we don't live according to the truth of God's word. There are consequences. When we buy into lies and don't allow truth to govern our relationships, our finances, there are consequences. And so rebuking means warning sternly the consequences of neglecting truth, God's word. Rebuke, and then he says exhort. You know, exhort's like the opposite of rebuke. It's highlighting the benefits of the truth of God's word. Pointing them out. Hey, do you guys know? Hey, I know sometimes <sighs> pastor's using that word obedience again. <laughs> Have I told you that story? There's a lady in my church one time. I, was, I should just preach from the word. So 
Obedience is found in here a lot. Have you noticed? And so I'm, it's, she said, you know, I counted. And this Sunday you said the word obedience or obey 57 times. <laughs> I said, praise God, I'm preaching the word. That's awesome. Thank you for the feedback. <laughs> she didn't mean it to be good, but that's the way I took it. Because you know why? Newsflash, church. When we obey God's ways, it brings God's blessings. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for me. That's what I want for my daughters. God's blessings. That's the very best there could ever be. But it comes through truth. It comes through responding to truth, living according to truth. We must not give in to the itching ears. It says, time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. Just know that that's something that, that presses in, that pressures us to give in to the temptation of putting before us those that will teach and remind us of just the things that we want to hear. And not the things that we don't want to hear. The idea is there are the cravings of the sensational. Let's don't give in to the temptation of craving our sensational needs. What we really need is truth. Black and white, just as it is, don't have to doctor it up. The truth. God's word. God's ways. The pillar of truth. That's who we are, church. That's who we are right here. See, what kind of pillar are we? Are we being the pillar of truth? Do I live that way? Do I want that? That's who we are. Which brings us to the last pillar, the final fourth one, and that's the pillar of grace. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Because truth comes wonderfully balanced and in perfect unity with grace. With grace. What is grace? Some say God's grace. Grace is unmerited favor. God, grace is that which we receive that we don't deserve. Right? It's not mercy. It's better than mercy. You know what mercy is? Mercy is when God doesn't give you what you really deserve. That's mercy. Grace is when he does give you what you don't deserve. Hey, that's pretty good. God gives us what I don't even deserve? That's God's nature. That's grace. Ephesians chapter 2, look at verse 4. Ephesians 2, 4. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ... By grace you have been saved, and raised up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Grace is pretty cool. Because it gives to us that which we could never gain on our own. Just like 
eternal life and the forgiveness of sin through the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the gift, the grace. The reason there's a present up on the pillar is because it's, it's a gift. It, we, we don't earn it. That's God's nature, guys. It's not something that he just, you know what? He created man and found out, uh-oh, man's really, really in trouble because he sinned. And now man has created this whole uh, world and now he's fallen in sin. Uh-oh, here's the mind of God. Uh-oh, uh-oh, what am I going to do? I better create, I better come up with another side of my nature called grace in order to save him. That's not how it happened. He was grace from the very beginning. He's always been grace. He always is grace. He always will be grace. That's the nature of God. The church should be the pillar of God's grace. We should be the highlight, lifting up God's grace, the primary place of revealing God's grace should be in the church. The church, that's what we're raised up together, he said. So there's two questions about this pillar of grace. The first question is a trick question. Are you ready for a trick question? Now, to be fair... I've let you know ahead of time it's a trick question, so I'm helping you out here. Who is this grace shown to? Who has God shown it to? Now, now be careful. Is it us? Or is it somebody else? God, who is rich in mercy, his great love, saved us by grace, verse 6, and he raised us up together. Now, see, he saved us by grace so that he can raise us up together, keep following the chain here, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. There we are lifted up, sitting together, Christ Jesus together. Watch this. That the ages to come, he might show his exceeding grace. You see, ultimately, the second part of the answer, the end of the answer is this. He shows grace to the whole world. You say, well, only those who have trusted Christ have received grace. Absolutely. That's good doctrine. But do you know what? Those who have trusted in Christ, those who have received grace, now sit together in the heavenlies so that in the ages to come, they might know God's grace. Wow. Hello, church. Guess what? Our job, our purpose, our identity is to show the ages I showed you last week. That means the world, but guess what? Not just the world. That also means the heavenlies. Everything that is what God's grace looks like. I just, I hope that's heavy. I hope you go, whoa, that's a serious responsibility. Yes, it is. That's why you've been given such a wonderful, precious gift. Because it's such a serious responsibility. You see my problem, church, with those who say, I'm saved, going to heaven, that's all I need to worry about. The rest of my life is mine to live as I please. Do you see the problem with that? I got my get out of hell free ticket, and that's all I need, so I'll just do what I want. Whoa! Do you know that part of the reason that God gave you eternal life and forgiveness of sin was so that you would be center stage? Picture of his grace. 
as we're raised up together in Christ Jesus. So it's for the world, for the ages to come, and for us. So the second question really is this. How then is grace shown? How is it shown? Um, look at the contrast here. I want, I want two answers. The first, the first answer is this. It's shown by how we live. God's grace is shown to the ages by how we live. It, are we living according to grace or are we living not according to grace as a church? Now, now I want to show you. Where, look at this contrast. I'm looking at Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 1 through 3 show the picture of before Christ, before grace. Verses 4 through 7 show the contrast, what happens after grace, after Christ. Look at verse 1. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, you walked according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also were all once conducted themselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. You see that? If there were no grace, that's what we would know. That's what it looks like before grace. That is, not, not just, see, not just hell. Not just eternal damnation, punishment. No, no, no. Also, walking this life according to the course of this world, the prince of the power of the air who's, who has influence, conducting ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling our own lust living this life in destruction, in death. Life before grace is miserable. There is no hope. Is it okay to say that? Yes. There is no hope before Christ. There is no answer. There's no goodness. There's no walking according to some philosophy and some career path and some financial planning. There is none that could ever exist that is any good before Christ. But after grace, after grace, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ raised up together, sitting together in the heavenly places, that the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. You see the contrast? It's about the way we live, church. Do we live, even though we've received grace and know grace, do we live still according to the ways that kept us bound and graceless? Or do we live in grace? What does it mean to live in grace? Well, let me just ask you a quick little exercise. What happened in your mind and in your heart the last time somebody mistreated you? Now, you gotta, you gotta do this on your own, folks. I've got plenty of my own. Rewind. Go back there. You there? When was the last time somebody really mistreated you? 
Now, the question is, when someone really mistreats you, I mean, you did not deserve it. You were, you were, you were unjustly treated. You were mistreated. You were not understood. It was not good. Now, when that happens, did you respond according to the nature that existed before Christ, before grace? Or did you respond exactly as Christ responds you, showing you exceeding kindness in his grace? Well, I don't, I don't know if I acted like that. I don't know if I lived. I, I, I might have thought about it, but I didn't live. I didn't say. I didn't do. That's how we live. The way, hey, check it out, church. And this is not hard, by the way. This is liberating. The way we treat one another in the church is the first idea that the rest of the world gets of what grace looks like. And if we're treating each other just like they're treating each other, they see no difference and grace means nothing. But listen, when they see you with kindness and love, Respond even though you've been mistreated and hurt with forgiveness and extending and giving, watch this, something to someone else that they don't deserve. Then the world says, ah, now that's different. That's what grace looks like. You know why? Because that's what God looks like. That's what he's done for us and that's how we live with one another. Turn to Titus chapter 2 and look at the last point. As we live... Um, Titus 2, verse 11. You there? You guys are getting fast. I hear the pages turning. Good. Titus, hey, by the way, take your other finger and stick it back in Ephesians. We just came from there, okay? Because it's not really the last verse. It's almost the last verse. Is that okay? Are we okay? Can I go? Can I? You okay if we do two more? Okay, good. Thank you. Not like I really needed your permission anyway. But it's good to have it as we live. Look at this. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Yeah! The grace of God which brings salvation to all men has appeared. That's good news. Verse 12. Teaching us. Wait a minute. You mean the grace that he gave us in salvation through Jesus Christ also teaches us something? Yeah. It teaches us that by denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly. Now watch this. In this present age. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This present age. You see, guys, receiving grace is supposed to train us and to teach us what it means to deny our flesh and the world and respond to others with love and grace by how we live, but also by how we speak. I'm going to end on this last point, so hang with me. Um, I ask you to turn back to Ephesians. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Listen to this one little verse. Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification. Now, Scripture is telling me here that I am to let a little bit of corrupt words come out of my mouth. You with me? Some corrupt words, 
rarely, a little bit, just every once in a while, corrupt words? How about this? When I'm really feeling frustrated and low and I haven't had a good day, then corrupt words? No. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Well, how do I talk then? But what is good for necessary edification, now watch this, that it might impart grace to the hearers. That it might impart grace. Um, Do the words that you and I speak to one another, to our children, on the phone, about somebody else, to somebody else, do those words, when they're coming out, you can, you can be the judge. Listen, do they edify? Are they bringing people closer to, building them up to godliness and to God? Are they imparting, taking the grace that God has given you, and then by using words and communication, then imparting that grace to somebody else, that which they don't deserve? Hey, listen, don't beat yourself up. Right now, here's what I want to focus on. You can. Church, you can let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth, but what is necessary edification, imparting grace to the hearers. You can. As a matter of fact, we will. We need. It's going to be fun. You're going to like it. It's all good to impart grace with our words. There is no disadvantage ever to speaking grace. There's always a disadvantage with uncorrupt words, words that have been influenced by the world, by the flesh, and by the devil. But listen, if, but I can't say, I, can't, I don't want to say something really, really sweet and good about that other person. Why? Because it might make me look less. It might give them attention. It might make somebody like them. Are we kidding? Yeah! <laughs> That's the whole idea! We want people to be loved. We want people to be good. We want people to be well thought of and have good reputations of godliness. We want our words to encourage them to go further with God. We want our encourage to give them more reason to trust in the promises of God than before we spoke. We want our words to represent God's goodness, His love, and His kindness. Can they be true words? Yes. But they can also impart grace. That's, hey, listen, that's the kind of church we have. That's the kind of church we want to continue to build. That's how we want to grow, okay? You getting it? So just just use your words this week. How do I impart giving to somebody else what they don't really deserve with my mouth? See, that sounds, that sounds gaudy. That sounds, I'm just constantly saying all these gushy, wonderful things. I know, and that's such a bad thing, isn't it? When did that become bad? Church, I'm close with this thought. I need your grace. I need it. In order for me to keep climbing this trail and this journey and making it through life to walk with God and to be used by God and to trust God, 
There's somewhere in the process where I can't make it on my own and I need, I need for those in my body to speak words imparting grace to me, building me up in my walk with God. Listen, the Bible says I need that. What a privilege. What an important place that we have one another as the church. What tremendous opportunity we have. Words of life. Words of grace. This week, let's start. Starts right here, right now. New beginning. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and just, uh, Lord, you are truth and you are grace. You've called us to be a church. The pillar of your truth and the pillar of your grace right here in our community. And I wonder... Have you, as you're praying to God, have you honestly, genuinely, personally received grace? God gives for you the forgiveness of all your sins, eternal life, even though you don't deserve it. Will you reach out and receive the gift this morning? If you'd like to, just pray along with me. Father, I know that I sin and I'm guilty. I trust Jesus who died on the cross for my sins, shed his blood for me, and I receive forgiveness through him by faith. Be my Lord and Savior. Come into my life. I just want to ask you, church, as you're praying, uh, if the Lord's speaking to your heart, you want to come to the altar, come to the front row up here, make some step of becoming part of pillar of truth and the pillar of grace. If it's your heart this morning and you're praying and you're overwhelmed with gratitude, I love truth and I want to respond to truth. Maybe you want to come. Come forward, come to the altar, kneel before God, stand before God, sit. Or how about grace? We're praying, Lord, thank you giving us grace, what we don't deserve, eternal life. And I wonder if there's anybody that's grateful this morning. An entire church full of people who have been transformed by your grace, Lord. What an awesome blessing. God's speaking to your heart and you're grateful for grace, grateful for his salvation, for what God gives you that you don't deserve. Would you come thank him? Come worship. Come praise him. Respond to grace this morning if God's speaking to your heart. It's your time. You do business with God. God's speaking to your heart. You come. this week every single one to speak truth as your word teaches and to impart grace as you've given to me Holy Spirit of God 
give me the words of life. Thank you for your church, for salvation, for your grace. We love you and praise you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. You can look this way. Um, I want to call your attention to the response card that Pastor Matt outlined earlier. Would you make sure that you get one of these and that you respond on the back of the card? It gives you uh, some, several options. If you prayed to receive Jesus, that prayer to receive grace with me, please let us know and check that box or you're a first-time guest, boy, we would sure love to know that you're here. Put those in the offering plate as they come by, and first-timers, you can get your gift on the way out if you hold on to yours. Also, encourage you to put your tithes and other offerings in there as an extension of worship. This is not the time where we cease worshiping and take up an offering. This is the time where we continue to worship by giving faithfully, obediently, from a heart of gratitude. Pastor Joe, would you lead us in prayer? Father, we've heard from your word. We've heard what you have to say to us individually, collectively. We know about fellowship and love, now truth and grace. Father, you've just blessed us with so much in our daily lives. We want to thank you. You've given us so much physically, spiritually, materially. And now it's time that we do the spiritual thing and give materially. We ask your blessing on it, Lord, on each heart, each person, each one. Thank you for your love. Thank you, Lord. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.